Luke 24, verses one through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed by this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Hey everybody, good morning and welcome to Christ Community Chapel on the very best day of the year. Uh, welcome those of you over in East Hall, uh, so glad you're here. Uh, welcome those of you who are tuning in. All right, we, we are in this series uh, we are calling Come and See. We're looking at the, the final 10 scenes of Jesus' life according to the Gospel of Luke. Last week we looked at the crucifixion, today we look at the resurrection. And the resurrection is the foundation, the cornerstone of our faith. And that actually makes Christianity different than all other religions and all other belief systems. Because Christianity doesn't rest on a foundation of teaching. Christianity rests on a foundation of a historical event, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible itself will say, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then Christianity is a sham. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, then it is the most important truth you can ever know. All right? So in the Gospel of Luke, uh, and this is where we are looking, uh, there are all, all four Gospels have an account of the resurrection. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but only in the Gospel of Luke do the women come to the tomb. They see the two men in dazzling apparel, these angels, and the angels ask them a question. This is the only place where this question appears. And the question that they ask the women is, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? It's a great question. It's a rhetorical question. It's a, it's a teaching question. Another way to ask that question is, why are you treating Jesus as if he is dead when he is alive? That's a question for everyone in this room. It's a question for everyone in the world, because this is the truth. You are living your life as if Jesus is alive, or you are living your life as if Jesus is dead. And the question is, which one are you? Which one are you? All right. 
Now, there are three ways, and I want to talk about this. There are three ways that we can live our lives as if Jesus is dead, and all three of these are embedded in this passage. And I, I want to go from the most obvious to the most subtle way to live our lives as if Jesus is dead. I want you to think of it as concentric circles uh, to move you closer to experiencing what life is like if Jesus really is alive. And I believe there is something for everyone here. Right, so I want you to, to listen until I call your name, until it sounds like I'm speaking just to you. And that's actually the way you ought to approach the Bible. Anytime you read the Bible, anytime you listen to a sermon, you ought to be asking God if he will tell you something about you, right? To teach you something about you, not about the person sitting next to you, not about your cousin, not about your family member, or your coworker, but let him speak to you about you. So listen for that today, because I feel like God wants to say something to you. All right, here are the three ways that we can live life as if Jesus is dead. The most obvious way is to deny the evidence for Jesus' resurrection. The second way is to forget the meaning of Jesus' sacrifice and the third is just to live without the power and the joy of his presence. All right, so let me start with the most obvious. The most obvious way to live as if Jesus is dead is to deny the evidence for Jesus' resurrection. So the angels in this story are, are standing in right next to the tomb. And I, I don't think I'd ever thought about this before this past week. But the angels could have appeared to these women anywhere, right? They're angels. They could have appeared to them in their house. They could have appeared to the disciples in the upper room. They could have stopped the women en route and just said, hey, there's nothing to see there. Just know that Jesus is alive. But the angels were waiting at the tomb. And that's kind of the, the scene of the crime. And you know, we're calling this series, Come and See. And in the Gospel of Matthew, in his account, the angels actually say that to the women. They say, come and see. They invite them into the tomb. Look at the evidence. The angels never expect the women to go just on blind faith. And listen, I, I would guess that there are some of you here right now, or you're watching online, and you're kind of in this boat where you're saying, you know, listen, I, I don't have anything against Jesus. I think he was a great man, great teacher, great role model. But when you say that he rose from the dead. That's kind of where I draw the line. And I get that. I really do. But I want to challenge you to just look at the evidence. I want to challenge you the way that the angels challenge the women. Come and see. And let me just give you three pieces of evidence. There is more than this, but for time's sake, just let me give you these three. There are three tests. I'm going to call the first the Elvis test, the Elvis test, the second, the fiction test, and the last one, the dark matter test. All right, let me start with the Elvis test. Uh, Elvis Presley died on August 16th, 1977. <laughs> it sounds like I know way too much about Elvis, all right? Uh, that's uh, roughly 44 years ago. The Gospel of Luke was written roughly 44 years after Jesus' death, in between 40 and 45 years. Now, if I wrote a book today that claimed that Elvis Presley rose from the dead, what are the chances of that becoming a global movement? 
probably pretty slim, particularly if I name names. And when I say that, this is what I mean. Luke in verse 10, he says, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna. Mary Magdalene was somebody that Jesus had delivered from demon possession. Joanna, whose husband worked for Herod in the government. And then there was Mary, the mother of James. And then he says, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. You know, that used to bother me that uh, Luke would name those three women and then say, oh, and there were some other women. I always thought, Luke, why, why didn't you do your research? Why didn't you find the names of everyone? And then I read an ancient histori- uh, uh, a historian of ancient literature who said that uh, when people were writing in the ancient world, when they would write a story and they would name a name, most likely they named that name because that person was still alive as they were writing the story. And it was a way to, uh, to name a source. It was like a, an ancient form of a footnote. You know how you're reading an article or something and you read a statistic and you just think, wow, I don't know if I believe that. And then you see the footnote and the footnote kind of cites the source so you can verify that uh, what the story says. Luke includes those names, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, because he's saying, hey, they're still around. If you want to verify, go talk to them. I call this the Elvis test because I think, you know, Elvis died 44 years ago. A lot of people still alive who remember when Elvis died, right? If I wrote a book and I claimed that Jesus resurrected, how long would it take to debunk that? What would you do? And I know some people, they'll say, oh, I don't know. I mean, in the first century, they were very gullible. They were very naive. And I want to go, really? You think? I mean, I get that they didn't know what an antibiotic was, but they weren't all idiots, There are some very, very bright people in the first century, at least as bright as we are, who desperately wanted to debunk this, and they would have if they could have, but they didn't. That's the Elvis test. Then there's the fiction test. I told you this last week. When you read this account in Luke, you you actually have two choices. Either what Luke writes is true, and it really happened, or Luke is making this story up, and it's fiction. Those are your only two options as I see them. And I always invite people, like, when you're reading this story, you ought to ask yourself the question, is this the way I would make up a story if I was making it up? And one of the intriguing things about this story that Luke writes, and it's actually true of all four gospel uh, accounts of the resurrection, is that the very first witnesses were all women. The very first people that went to the tomb that claimed that Jesus resurrected, all women. And the reason that's intriguing is in the first century, women were not considered to be reliable witnesses, right? Very misogynistic time in the world's history. In fact, a woman in the first century was not allowed to be a witness in a court of law. You can hear that really in this passage where it says, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And listen to this. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. They said an idle tale. You can kind of feel that, can't you? They're like, you can see their eyes roll. Oh, women, you know. That's a terrible thing. But the question is, if Luke is making this story up, 
why in the world would he ever have women be his first witnesses? If there's a policeman who has a choice between uh, three homeless people or three college professors to be the witness of the crime, choose the college professors. Choose the people that other people will believe. The only reason that Luke would say that it was all women who were the primary witnesses is if that's the way it really happened and what he's writing is true. That's the fiction test. The last test is the dark matter test. This is my favorite. All right, dark matter, uh, cosmologists now believe uh, in two things, dark matter, dark energy. They believe that uh, dark matter uh, is eight, makes up 85% of the matter in the universe. All right, the difference between dark matter and regular matter, like uh, this table is made of regular matter. The pews you're sitting in, the seats you're sitting in in East Hall, this building, regular matter. And regular matter you can see, you can touch, you can measure. Dark matter is what's called inferred matter. Right? You can't see it. You can't measure it. But scientists believe it exists because of what they can measure, because something is having an impact on what they can see, right? And now I've exhausted my knowledge of dark matter. Right? So if you're a cosmologist or a physicist who happens to be here and you want to come up and afterwards and, and just shoot the breeze about dark matter, I'm done. Right? But if I go to a scientist and I say to them, you know what, I don't believe in dark matter. I don't buy it. Don't believe it. I think a scientist would say, okay, fair enough. But you have to account for what's going on. What is having this impact on what we can measure? It's not good enough for you just to say you don't believe in dark matter. What is your theory that makes more sense than dark matter? Okay, and here's what we know from historians. That something happened around 33 AD, a cataclysmic event that was so powerful that it started a movement that spread like lightning across the Roman Empire. First hundreds, then thousands, then tens of thousands, then hundreds of thousands of people changed their understanding of God and of themselves, changed their lifestyle to such a degree that it changed the very fabric of the world in less than a hundred years. And every single person who was part of that movement would look back and say that cataclysmic event that happened in the first century in 33 AD was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you come to me and you say, I don't believe in the resurrection, I say, fair enough, fair enough. But what did happen? Because you have to tell me then what cataclysmic event happened in 33 AD that led to a very, in a very short time to changing the very fabric of the known world. It's not enough for you just to say, I don't believe in the resurrection. You have to give me your theory, All right? So that's the third test. Most obvious way to live as if Jesus is dead is to deny the evidence for his resurrection. But there's another way. And the second way is to, to live and forget the meaning of his sacrifice. Look at what the angels say to the women. In verse five, it says, and they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground and the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? 
He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. The angels say to the women, don't you remember how Jesus said to you that he must be delivered, that he must suffer, that he must die, that he must rise again? Of course, the question is, why must he? Why did Jesus have to do all that? Right? I uh, told you a couple weeks ago that I watch a lot of detective shows, probably too many. But uh, it's not uncommon in one of the shows that I'm watching that they have two suspects. And this is what I know to do now with two suspects. You put them in separate rooms and then you go to each one of them and you say, listen, one of you is going to walk out of here free and the other one's going to prison for a long time. Right? <laughs> You're trying to get them to flip. That's what my detective friends and I call it. All right. And what you're telling them is this, it's either going to be you or him, but one of you must pay. That's why Jesus was saying to the women, we talked about this last week. Jesus says, listen, if God is a holy God, if God is a just God, then every single wrong thing that anyone has done has got to be put right sometime, some way. That's what it means for justice. That means someone has to pay. Either you pay or Jesus pays. That's why Jesus said, I must be delivered up. I must suffer. I must be crucified. I must rise again because it's either you or him. Because forgiveness is not free. You know that. That's why it's so hard to forgive people, right? I mean, if you... Uh, are parked next to my car out in the parking lot and you are pulling out today, you happen to hit my car and you dent it and I come outside and you go, listen, I'm really sorry. I just hit your car, but it is Easter, you know? And I say, <laughs> okay, I forgive you, right? That doesn't mean no one pays. It means you don't pay. It means I pay. That's why Jesus was crucified. Now here's the question. Why did the angels remind the women of that? What does that have to do with living as if Jesus is dead? This is what I mean. You can believe that Jesus resurrected. You can believe that Jesus died for you. But if you forget why he had to sacrifice himself for you, then you will be living your life as if he's dead. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a very interesting story. He says there's a king and there's a servant who owes the king millions, millions of dollars. And the king calls the servant in and says, pay me what you owe me. And the servant says, uh, I don't have it. Please be patient with me. Please have mercy on me. And the king is moved with compassion and he forgives that guy of millions and millions of dollars. And then Jesus says in the story that the man goes out and he finds a fellow servant who owes him a couple hundred bucks. And he grabs him and he says, pay me what you owe me. And this guy says the exact same thing to him that the servant had said to the king. He says, listen, be patient. I don't have it. Be patient with me. Please show mercy. And this servant said, no way. Pay me. You will pay me. I will not forgive you your debt. He has him thrown in jail. And then the king hears about it. He calls that servant back in. And he goes, are you kidding me? Have you forgotten what I did for you? 
This is Jesus' story on forgiveness. Have you ever noticed how Christians can be the most judgmental, the most unforgiving, the most ungracious, the most obnoxious people in the world? And I say that in all love. Right? Because I'm a Christian. But the reason I say that is because there's an easy thing that happens with Christians that we forget that Jesus had to die for us. And listen, let me give you two signs that you are that God is speaking to you, that this is your category. One, you have a spiritual superiority complex. A spiritual superiority complex where you tend to look down on people and you think to yourself pretty often, I could never do what they have done. I could never be as bad as they are. Or you have a spiritual inferiority complex where you're constantly looking up at people and saying, I could never be as good as they are. God could never love me the way he loves them. Because this is what a real Christian is. A real Christian understands that you are so bad that nothing less than the death of God's own son could possibly save you. But you are so valued and so loved that no one less than God's own son was willing to give himself for you. And the way we like to say it here at Christ Community Chapel is this. You really understand the gospel when you realize that you are more deeply flawed than you've ever wanted to admit to anyone, even yourself. But because of what God has done through Jesus, you are more deeply loved than you have ever dared to dream. Okay, that's the second way that you can live your life as if Jesus is dead. And the third way is that you can just be living your life and miss the power and the joy of what it means that Jesus is alive. I want you to imagine what these women were like when they're walking to the tomb. Right? They're carrying spices because they're going to finish up Jesus' burial. Their hearts are breaking. And then they meet these angels who tell them, listen, come and see. Look at the evidence. He's alive. Don't you remember that he had to die, that he had to suffer, that he had to rise for you? Right? And then they just stop. And I love that they stop. And then you can almost hear the women trying to connect the dots. And they're trying to say, think, wait, wait. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did he tell us that he had to die? What does it mean that he's alive? And we're waiting for it to kind of click. You know, uh, I think a lot of us as Christians, we live in that in-between time. Like when you go to a Coke machine, you put your money in and you push the button. And then there's that weird time where you don't know whether a Coke's going to actually come out or not. And you hear some rumbling in there. That's where I think most Christians live their lives. When we put the money in, we believe, you believe that Jesus died on a cross. You believe that Jesus resurrected and is alive. But you're not really experiencing the joy of what it means to have a risen Savior. You're waiting for the Coke to come out. And these women have that in-between time. And then all of a sudden it clicks. Like the coins drop. And what it says is they took off running, right? In the, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says they were full of joy. 
And they went running. And the question is, where were they running? Why were they running? They were running to tell someone, to tell anyone, because that's what you do when you have unbelievably good news. It's what we all do. I, you know, this is a trite example. I almost hate to give it. But I'm a sports fan, right? So I remember exactly where I was in 2014 when I got a text from my brother Brian that LeBron James was coming back to Cleveland to play for the Cavaliers. I remember where I was. And immediately when I got that text, I told the guy I was with. And then I, I started texting some people, hoping that I was going to be the first one to tell him. Right? I, was at, I, I was actually at a golf course. Right? When we got to the next tee box, I could see the foursome that was, you know, had just teed off. I didn't know them. I didn't know if they were basketball fans. I didn't care if they were in the, the middle of their backswing. I was going, hey, hey, LeBron's coming back. Like that, right? Why? Listen, this is the truth. You are living your life as if Jesus is dead. Or you are living your life as if Jesus is alive. Which is it? Easter is such a great time because it's a time for all of us to remind ourselves that Jesus is alive and we ought to live like it. If you're on that outside circle, I just ask you, please just come and see, look at the evidence. If you're in that second circle where you're saying, listen, do not forget that Jesus had to die for you. It's either you or him. And he gave himself for you. If you're that close circle, do not live another minute outside of the joy of what it means to have Jesus be alive. In the early church, when people would see another Christian on Easter, they wouldn't say happy Easter or good morning. They would have a a greeting. They would say, he is risen, right? And the response was always the same. It was, he is risen indeed. It was their way to remind each other to say, he's alive. Do not live today as if he is dead. So I'm going to end this message by giving you that greeting. I'm going to say he is risen. And if you believe and you want to live today as if Jesus is alive, you respond back. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's live like it. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I come to you and uh, I, am, uh, I am so grateful for who you are, what you did, that you lived in my place, died in my place, and you have risen again. Please forgive me for ever doubting the evidence or not even looking at it. I, I pray that you'd forgive me when I have forgotten what it means to have you sacrifice yourself for me. And Lord, I pray that you would fill every person here with the joy of what it means that they have a living Savior named Jesus. Thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.